over you know why we do that because we always like to soften the blow of the things that we struggle with I've never heard someone say someone's fallen from grace when they become legally minded in their Christianity normally time we say oh they're serious about their faith they're zealous for their faith no they've fallen from grace we're all lacking whether it's patience love understanding we all have our weaknesses But as believers, Jesus is there to fill the void. Today, Pastor Daniel teaches about Paul's message to the people of Galatia and how to be confident in the Lord. God calls us to love first and make decisions that won't stumble others. So we have to let him work in us to strengthen those weaknesses so that we can be effective to live like Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Jesus is Greater Than License. We need to let our faith in Jesus express itself into the world and in our lives through self-sacrificial love. That's really where the rubber meets the road as it relates to Christian ethics, the way that we ought to live. We need to let faith work through love. Now, this is why I said that, man, we got to chapter five, and I'm like, great. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no. Because how are you doing loving people? Think about the person or the group of people that you struggle the most to let your heart embrace in love. God sees our walks through the lens of how am I doing loving people? Does my faith in Jesus express itself in love for people? And I realize that's some gnarly teaching, isn't it? Because, well, I don't like the person who cut me off when I'm driving down the highway. I don't like the person who, you know, did this or my so-and-so friend on Facebook, my frenemy or whatever. Every time I write something, they comment something real negative and I don't really like that. And I really, you know, I don't really like the fact that, you know, it's like the Super Bowl happened a couple of weeks ago. I still have people fighting on sports column articles. It's like it's just it's sports, man. You know, they can play it again next year. Politics. We live in a divisive culture. And I think the world is waiting to see the people of God rise up with the spirit of God led by the love of God. Because I've never seen the church that's faith is expressing itself through love. So how you loving? Ask yourself, how you loving? And really identify the people that you struggle to love. Now, I'll say things often like, everybody struggles to love somebody. And then somebody will always say, not me. And I'm like, we ain't loving what I'm saying, are you? <laughs> but that's the irony of the world that we live in. You know what I mean? We all have people who are a challenge to love. 
We all do. I think oftentimes, you know what the biggest challenge to love people are? They're the people closest to you. You know why? Because the people closest to you are the ones who know everything. They see you before your coffee. They see you before you work out. They see you before you eat and you got low blood sugar. They see you when you wake up and you're grumpy in the morning, you know? And like, it's really easy to love people who you don't really know. That's why young love is so deceiving in some ways. Because you really don't know them. But you like everything about them because you don't know them. And of course, they're putting their best foot forward. But it's really hard to love the people who you know really well because there's so much water under the proverbial bridge. So many disagreements, things that you'd love to take back and not say, all these things. I'm always reminded it's so much easier to love people I don't know than to really embrace the people that I do. But God wants our faith to work through love. I think for many of us, it was so strong in my heart as I was studying this, that we need to re-up on loving the people closest to us. Because, listen, it's real easy. You've been married long enough. You've been in a family for long enough. It's really easy to kind of apathetically like them. Like you've resigned yourself to them and all their stuff. And you've figured out how to endure them. But God's like, no, 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 listen. I really want you to love them. You know why? God loves us with full disclosure. God knows everything about you, everything about me. And he's chosen to be gracious knowing the whole enchilada, all of it. The stuff that everybody sees, the stuff that's in the hidden corners of the heart. And yet he still chooses to love the unlovable because he is loving. And we, once we get enough disclosure on somebody, we're going to be like, oh, hey. And you figure out a way to navigate it rather than embrace and love them. We need to let faith express itself through love. I mean, look what Paul says in verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by law. What a crazy statement. He said, listen, if you have a legalistic bent to your Christianity, you've made Jesus a stranger. I mean, think about estrangement. It's people who were close who are now separated. He's like, look, if you desire to justify yourself by your actions, you've been estranged from Christ. And he doesn't stop there because look what he says next. You have fallen from grace. Now, you guys have heard that term before, right? Someone who's fallen from grace. And normally, that phrase is attributed to somebody who has committed a huge act of immorality. Like, total, you know, they were a pastor, and now they're like a a rabid atheist. They've fallen from grace. Paul doesn't use the words for something like that. He actually uses the words for people who want to be justified by works apart from than just by the finished work of Jesus. He's telling the church in Galatia, listen, you believed in Jesus, you've strayed into legalism, now you've fallen from grace. Isn't it scary when the Bible calls something a harsh term that we want to kind of brush over? You know why we do that? Because we always like to soften the blow of the things that we struggle with. I've never heard someone say someone's fallen from grace when they become 
legally minded in their Christianity. Normally time we say, oh, they're serious about their faith. They're zealous for their faith. No, they've fallen from grace. Wow. It shows how important this is. And he's saying, listen, if you want to be justified by your actions, then guess what? Not only are you estranged from Christ, you've fallen from grace. And then he says, verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. He's saying, listen, you guys are trying to be made righteous by your actions. We who have the Spirit, we're waiting for it by faith. He's saying, look, it's not by what we do. It's the gift of faith, and we are waiting for the fulfillment of the finished work of Jesus in our lives. Now, isn't that another reason why we stray towards legalism? Because which one of us are really patient? I, don't, I mean, I don't want to project my impatience on you. Patience isn't my strong suit, my friends. You know, say, I'm right, let's do this thing. But that's one of the reasons why we stray into legalism, because God's timing is different from ours. We talked about getting an Ishmael last week, the work of the flesh. We got to get this thing done. But those who are of the Spirit, they wait for the hope of righteousness, which is by faith. And then he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. I love that. He's saying, look, if you choose to be circumcised or not circumcised, it means nothing. What really matters is faith working through love. And so, brothers and sisters, how are you loving? Write down, this is a person or a group of per people that I struggle to love. Because I really believe it's, it's important to identify our weak spots so that we can grow there. We can commit it to the Lord in prayer and say, God, you know I don't do good here. Lord, you know I get messed up here. Lord, will you do a great work? And what's beautiful is if you do that kind of stuff, you look back on those things later and you're like, wow, what an amazing work God has done in this area of my life. For those of you who have prayer journals, you pray through, you write down the things you're praying about and you watch the things that God has done. I look back on old journals, things that I was praying for, things that I was seeking God on and watching how God has been so faithful to do a great work and he ain't anywhere near done with me yet. Praise God. But God has done so much when you are willing to identify things like, man, I really don't love so well here. Lord, I really want to grow in this area of my life. Because our faith works through love. Now look what happens in verse 7. It says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, I believe that this section is proof that the Apostle Paul's from the East Coast. Because his language here is pretty biting. Really biting. But notice what he says. He says, then the offense of the cross has ceased. And really, for us, as it relates to how we should live now, we need to let the cross be exalted. 
We need to let the cross of Jesus Christ be exalted in our life. He calls it the offense of the cross. And really what he's saying, he's saying, listen, the fact that we have to believe in the Messiah who died on the cross for us, that is offensive. And you know why that's offensive? Because it means that we can't save ourselves. It means that the cost of our rebellion against God cost Jesus' life. And whether it was offensive to the Greek mind of Paul's day because of its lack of logic, which is a lot of the reasons why educated people in 21st century America are like, I don't want to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm too smart for that. Yeah, no, you're not. You don't even realize what you are. You don't even realize who God is, and that's why Jesus died. And it's also offensive to the Jewish people of Paul's day and the legally, legalistically-minded people of today because they say, listen, i got to do this, this, and this, and if I do all those things, then I'm a good, moral person. I'm deserving of heaven. And Paul's like, no, no, listen. True biblical Christianity exalts the fact that Jesus had to die in our place because we are worse than we realize and God's love is greater than we realize and God is not content to leave us away from him but did everything to draw us back. Do you let the fact that you believe in Jesus that he had to die for you, do you push that out there? Do you lead with a belief that our mistakes Cause the death and resurrection of Jesus. All the time, all the time in my own heart, I find myself straying from this central message. Because it's hard to have to acknowledge that I am worse than I realize. That my heart isn't right. That I need saving. As much today as on the day when I got saved. It's so much better to say, look at how much I've grown. Look how good I'm doing. I don't do those things anymore. But then you got, it's like John Steinbeck said that unwrapping the layers of our heart is like peeling back an onion. There's always another layer and it always comes with more tears. See, Paul's saying to them, listen, the cross is offensive, but it needs to be exalted. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul loves athletic analogies, and all the guys are stoked. A lot of you girls are too. He loves using athletic analogies. He's a big fan of them. He's like, look, you guys are running great. What was the hurdle put in your place? And then he says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. He's saying, look, this rule-keeping persuasion, this leaning towards legalism, this isn't from God. This is from people. And then he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, he says that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. A little leaven. The idea is that if you are baking bread or if you're baking something in, in a bakery or whatever, right, you throw a little yeast in there. And that yeast, all it takes is a little bit of yeast, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing is leavened. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I remember... And again, he quotes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to the churches in Corinth as well. Says the exact same thing. I remember, I, I, I didn't get it at the time, but when I first got saved, I ended up working in a bakery, making all these artisan breads and stuff. And it was really cool, like, how God uses things in your life. I, it was just a job. I had a friend who worked there, and it was the only place I went for an interview, and they hired me on the spot, and it was super fun. I didn't really know anything about baking bread. I knew a whole lot about eating bread. 
you know, and pastries. But it's like, it was amazing when you realize you put some dough together, you put a little bit of commercial yeast in it, that thing will rise over time, right? It just takes a little bit. He's saying, look, the legalism within the church just takes a little bit and it will infect everybody. It becomes pervasive, becomes destructive. He's saying to the churches in Galatia, this is what's going on with you guys. He's saying, a little bit of legalism got in, and now the whole thing, it's pervasive. He says, but I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. Now, I love this. Paul has confidence in the churches in Galatia, but is he confident in them? No, he's confident in the Lord in them. That's important, I think. So often, God asks us to trust people, but God actually doesn't really ask us to trust people. He asks us to trust him, and we trust God, and people get the benefit. That's a huge thing. He's like, look, I got, he's not like, I got confidence in you guys. He's like, no, I got confidence in you guys in the Lord. I trust that the Spirit of God is in you and that you will agree with this. But then he starts talking about the people who have got them off, got them off on the side. He says, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. He's saying, look, those people who are stumbling you, they're going to have to deal with that. And we have to be careful, right? Jesus said that if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if you had a millstone hung around your neck and you were tossed into the ocean. We have to be careful not to be somebody who puts a stumbling block in front of other people. This is why Jesus is better than license. Because sometimes in our liberty, we can put stumbling blocks in front of people. And God wants us to make sure we love more than we live out our license. And too often, especially in our generation in America, where it's like, it's my life, and who are you to tell me? It's like, no, 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 listen, if you're a Christian, it's Jesus' life. You were bought at a price. And so we have to say, yeah, I can do what I want. Legally, I'm allowed to. It's my call. But it's like, well, no, Lord, does this accord with your highest plans, your glory? Am I stumbling everybody, anybody? in the midst of the decision I make. And if you are, then you say, can't do it. Because Jesus is greater. Now, verse 12 is kind of fun and crazy. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, you know what Paul's saying here, right? He's saying they want you to be circumcised. I want them to castrate themselves. That's why I said this is proof that the Apostle Paul's Italian from New York. That's kind of a crazy statement. He's like, you want to cut some foreskin? Let's just cut the whole business off. Let's just bobatize them. Let those who understand the cultural reference deal with it. He's talking about the removal of the entire male genitalia, not just circumcision. Now, you know what's funny about this? Once you say castration in church, there's really nowhere else to go. As a teacher, like, what do you say next? Like, you just talk about castration, right? It's awkward. So what are we going to do? We're just going to move on to verse 13, shall we? Amen? Because, like, where do, you, where do you go from there? I was like, I just talked, Paul wants them to castrate themselves. Great, all right. And next week at Crossroads, anyway, all the guys just uncomfortably cross their legs, like, <laughs> anyway, verse 13. I'm not going to mention the C word again, but we don't take legalism nearly as seriously as the Apostle Paul does. Straight up, you know what I mean? Like, well, never mind. <laughs> We don't take it nearly as seriously as he does. 
we're so used to it. And he's like, no, listen, no. This is so serious. We want them to go all the way. Just cut themselves off. Be gone. But look what he says in verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Finally, my friends, we need to let love rule. We need to let love rule. Notice what he says here. He says, you have been called to liberty, verse 13, Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, this is where I get Jesus is greater than license. He's saying, look, you have this freedom, but don't let your freedom be an opportunity for the works of flesh, but instead, in love, serve one another. That word serve is a challenging word because Today, we don't like talking about service a whole lot, you know? Like, you hear about in church, a servant leader, right? Because in American culture, we love leadership. We don't love servanthood. But at the end of our days, Jesus isn't going to say, well done, good and faithful leader, not well done, good and faithful pastor, not well done, good and faithful missionary, not well done, good and faithful Sunday school teacher, not well done, good and faithful husband or wife, father or mother, child. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And true love serves one another. And we let love rule by humbling ourselves so that we might serve other people. But the reason, see again, we take our freedom in Christ and we use it for license because we don't want to serve others or serve God. We want to serve ourselves. And now he says, no, no, let in love serve one another. And then he goes on to say, and I love this. Look at what he says. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, look, you want to keep the law? All of the law is fulfilled in what we know as the second commandment. It comes from Leviticus 19, 18 and Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. All the law has its fulfillment in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, look, you guys want to be legalistic? Then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Serve them in love. Now, you guys know that's the second commandment. Because the first commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And my friends, you can't love your neighbor in a way that is healthy unless you first love God. You know why? Because God's love is perfect. And we love God because he first loved us. And we want to pass along God's love to the people around us. If we don't, we're going to pass along our own self-centered, faulty love to the people around us. And they're going to be just as mangled as we are because of it. See, we can't serve people in self-sacrificial love unless we've experienced the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. Jesus is God's timing is different than ours, and not understanding that can cause us to stray into legalism. Waiting on Him isn't easy, but we can't force God's hand by taking matters into our own hands. Pastor Daniel encouraged us to find our weak spots, 
We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will tell us how Jesus wants us to live in the Spirit and why. The flesh is always at battle with the spirit because the two are incompatible. We'll find out what flesh really means. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Jesus is Greater Than Everything. Until then, may God bless. <laughs>